Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from The Message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Luke chapter 7, open your Bibles if you've got it. Luke chapter 7, starting from verse 18. Yes, I know what you're thinking. Sam, you seem to have jumped over seven verses. This is not what we're doing. We're working through the passage. How can you miss out seven verses? Not just any seven verses. I'm skipping verses 11 to 17. Uh, And you're thinking, why on earth has Sam missed out the raising of a dead man the first time in the book of Luke that Jesus raises someone from the dead? How could you do that? How dare you? Well, I'm sorry, folks. This is an epic passage, but I preached it not that long ago in this very room, and I didn't want to just repeat it. In fact, when I preached this passage, it was really the passage that kicked off the whole Luke series. I loved it so much that I was like, actually, maybe we'll just start at the beginning and start start all over. So if you want to listen to that text, that preach around that text, then uh, do find it. I think it's still available on the Message podcast. But we're going to kick off from verse 18, midway through chapter 7, John brings, uh, Jesus brings us back to John the Bi- uh, Baptist, the guy on whom the book started, the letter that he wrote starts with the story of John the Baptist. You know who he is. He's the, the one that leapt in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when Mary arrived pregnant with baby Jesus. This is John the Baptist whom uh, is the only prophesied prophet in the Bible. He's the one foretold by the prophets Isaiah and Malachi. He's the one sent to prepare the way of the Messiah. This is John the Baptist who got to baptize Jesus. Imagine that. He talks about John who witnessed the tearing apart of heaven at the baptism of Jesus and he heard the audible voice of God say this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and he saw the Holy Spirit descend in the form of a dove and come to rest on the one that was the Messiah upon Jesus just like to just to double check that it was Jesus. I do wonder when, you know, he went down and he heard the voice, uh, this is my son in whom well pleased, whether John was like, just, just which one, just double check. It's the one that the Holy Spirit rests upon in the form of a dove. And this is John who a few days after that baptism saw Jesus walking on the street and shouted at the top of his voice, behold, look, see and know this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is John, whom Jesus in this chapter will declare to be the greatest person ever born of a woman. You can't be born of a man. He's like the greatest. This is John. This is the John he's talking about. But when we meet John in Luke chapter 7, John is in a mess. It's not going well for John. John, the free spirit, the guy who's wandered around the desert for years, now finds himself locked up in the hillside fortress of great King Herod. 
See, the teachings of John have really gotten him into trouble. He, he has decided he's going to tell Herod that he's made a mistake by trying to marry the wife of his brother. He said, not only is it a bit weird, but it's also not godly. And Herod hasn't liked this, and so he's locked him away in prison. So I imagine John has been sat there for months wearing that itchy camel-like skin, clothes, irritated by the fact that he can't be wandering around the desert collecting locusts to eat. He's finding himself locked up and all the time he's hearing amazing things about Jesus. And his disciples, he's got disciples too, and two of them arrive to see John. Maybe they're talking to each other between the bars. And I like to imagine that whenever John sees Jesus... He always, no, whenever John sees his disciples, he's always asking, what is Jesus up to? Like, what? Tell me more. Tell me more. What's he doing? What's he saying? Where has he been? Is he the one? And those disciples, I'm sure, overflow with story after story of great and wonderful things. Maybe they tell him about the the healing of the centurion. You know, the the centurion's servant. You know, when Jesus doesn't even have to go into the house and the servant is raised. Maybe he mentions about this widow's son that is raised from the dead. I skip over it, but maybe the disciples didn't. They are telling him in full force. But for some reason, it's not enough for John. He's downcast. He's disappointed. He's brokenhearted. He is doubting. This is John the Baptist. He's the greatest person ever born of a woman, filled with the Spirit as a baby, the messenger sent to declare the Messiah, but we find him doubting. Like if there's anybody ever in eternity that should not doubt who Jesus really is, it's John the Baptist. By the way, if you therefore struggle with your doubts, you're in good company. Even John the Baptist doubts He's doubting himself and he's doubting the identity of Jesus. But why? Why? Because John's circumstances are undermining his calling and his confidence. His circumstances are undermining his calling and his confidence. John, the great servant of God, is captive while the saviour of the world works wonders. He probably thought he was going to journey in ministry with a guy. He probably thought he'd walk and talk and do miracles alongside Jesus. Maybe he thought he would be the first disciple, but while Jesus is doing awesome things, he is locked away. His life is not working out like he imagined. You ever been there? where you think your life should be somewhere, but you find yourself in another kind of place and you begin to wonder, is, am I doing something wrong? What, what is going on here? At the point of crisis, it feels like the Messiah that he'd come to announce was doing things that he was not expected. So if you look back at the teachings of John, if you look at the things that he thought that, that the Messiah would be doing, you begin to see maybe where it went wrong. See, in Matthew chapter 3, this is what John says. The axe, this is what he says to a bunch of Pharisees. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptise you with the water of repentance, but after me... One will come more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His widowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John's understanding of what a Messiah would be differs from his experience, the reality of his experience. John is in prison. He's announced the Messiah but there's something missing from the ministry of Jesus. Something missing that he hoped he would see. Where's the swinging axe? He wanted Jesus to be going round dropping things. Where is the Jesus who is throwing? Throwing people. Where is Jesus with the winnowing fork? Where is the clearing of the floor? Where is the unquenchable fire? Where is the baptism of fire? Where is the powerful judging Messiah? Where, where, most importantly, is John's rescue? John is alone in a dark, cold cell. And he's wondering, did I get this wrong? Have I misunderstood the purpose? Did I make a mistake? What have I done? So John sends his disciples with this clear like a command, go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Hear the heart of John. How broken do you have to be to send a message to the Messiah, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and go, are you the one or shall we keep looking? Like what did I do wrong? See, John is on a promise. John knows what his job is. He knows what was foretold about him, that he's the one that will reveal the Messiah, announce the Christ. But his circumstances do not match up with his calling. So when John's disciples find Jesus, they do what they're instructed. They're good disciples. And they say to Jesus, John the Baptist has sent sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And the response of Jesus is incredible. He just gets on. He works for another hour. In verse 21, it says, In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Luke writes this, not mocking. You know, when they come and they ask Jesus, is, are you the one or should we just keep looking? And, and John then answers it with this statement. He's not saying, look at these stupid disciples. Like they turn up and ask Jesus, who is in full flow, being a Messiah, and, uh, and, then, and then he just says, duh, like obviously he is. He's not mocking them. This is Jesus. He responds to them beautifully with action. He shows them what he's all about. See, Jesus could have simply said when they came asking, he could have said to them, yes, I am. Now off you pop. But his response is amazing. For an hour, for an hour, he gets on while they look on. There's no word from Jesus. He kind of just says, I kind of recognize that. Now watch this. And he goes about messiahing, if that's a verb, messiahing. He's healing diseases, casting out demons, restoring sight. And then when he's done, he answers them with words, go 
and tell John. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. If there's ever a statement of what the Messiah was all about during his life ministry, this was it. After getting on with the Messiah, uh, with, the, with, the, with the work of the Messiah, he says, go report what I've done. What is he doing here? See, John is a man of the word. He would have known the messianic promises. He would have known what was written in the books of Isaiah. And Jesus is trying to help remind John where to look and what a Messiah looks like, what the scriptures say about him. At the point of suffering and hardship, he has a distorted view of who a Messiah is and Jesus is trying to point out, point him back to what he truly is like. And I don't know if if you're like me, but this happens to me. We have this tendency to define Jesus according to our circumstances and not according to scripture. When we're in need, we call Jesus provider. When we're under attack, we call him our defender. When we are brokenhearted, we call him the comforter. When we're stressed out, we call him our peace. When we're sick, we call him a healer. When we're captive, we call him the rescuer. And all those descriptions are right and true and good. But the problem comes when we don't get what we want in our hour of need. When attacks continue, when healing doesn't come, when pain doesn't stop, when our circumstances then begin to undermine our faith and our understanding of God. And we've seen these beautiful truths about who Jesus are, but let's be honest, sometimes our circumstances, I'm like, I need to know this right now because this stuff hurts. Os Guinness said, doubt is faith in two minds. Our faith says Jesus has all the power. We know in faith that he is the things that we sing about him, but sometimes our circumstances fail to see the power of God in our lives. And this is where doubt begins to take root. It's scripture that defines Jesus, not our circumstances. Scripture that defines Jesus, not our circumstances. I spoke at a church not so long ago that I realised there was a problem with what was going on during worship because they'd begun to change some of the worship songs to take away anything that looked like hardship and suffering. Here's an example, like uh, that Matt Redmond song, Blessed Be Your Name, which has got a line in there that says, you give and take away, you give and take away. They changed it to be, we give you all the praise because then in this moment of worship, they couldn't handle singing about a God that might be a giver and a taker. They, 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 They didn't want anything less than God of the God who gives. I'm not going to sing something, even though it's direct from Scripture, by the way. Matt Redman didn't make that up. That comes from the book of Job. A man who deeply suffered, but yet stood the course and went on to continue to glorify God in his sufferings. It's not our circumstances that define 
who Jesus is. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. Stick to the plan. And so Jesus wants to draw John back. Let me take you out of your circumstances and let's root you back in Scripture. Jesus, the word of God, pointing himself, pointing himself out in the words. Jesus repeats the words of the prophet Isaiah. He talks from Isaiah 35 and he talks from that beautiful passage in Isaiah 61. Let me remind you what a Messiah looks like. Go back and tell John what you've heard and what you've seen. Do you remember Jesus in the, in the temple early in Luke chapter 4? He's just spent 40 days being tempted by the devil in the desert. And he arrives at the synagogue in which he probably grew up in. And he's uh, given, handed that scroll where he opens it and begins to read, to announce his arrival and to declare his manifesto. As he pulls open that giant scroll, he reads from the passage, which we know as Isaiah 61. And he declares those great and awesome words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Go tell John you saw this fulfilled. Go tell John you saw the Messiah at work. Go tell John not to doubt. But you know what? There's a noticeable difference between that text and what he tells his disciples to go and tell John. See, there's one small bit missing. I don't know if you noticed it. We miss over it. We rush over it without even spotting. He misses out this line. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. He says, go back and tell John, but he misses out this line. Go proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You know, Jesus didn't want to get John's hopes up. He didn't want to send him a message with maybe a hidden little secret in there. Don't worry, John. I'm coming for you. I'm going to break you out with my axe and my fire. He didn't want to get his hopes up. He wasn't sending a coded message, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead will rise. The dead are raised. Do you see the promise here to John? John in a prison cell, a prison cell that the only time he will leave it is when he'll go to his death to have his head taken from his shoulders. His life will end. He's the prize of a party gone wrong. His head will be severed and placed on a platter. But there is resurrection hope. Do you see what Jesus is saying to him here? I'm the Messiah and the dead will rise because this Messiah is incredible. Jesus is the one he's looking for. He is the hope of the nation. He is God's wonderful rescue plan. But his plans aren't always our plans. His ways are not our ways. His ways are far wiser than our ways. Jesus, the Messiah, came to die. Who expected that? A death that would defeat sin and overthrow the kingdom of darkness. His death would put an eternal end to sickness and sorrow. And on the cross, a new king would be crowned. 
and a new kingdom would be established. Christ would rise from the dead as the firstborn among the dead and with him would come the resurrection of the dead. So all who believe in his name, there will be resurrection on that one final day. He's saying to John, I am the Messiah and you will one day see my power face to face when on the final day you are raised to life. Now hold on, don't give up. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me, he says in verse 23. What's beautiful about this? We've had the Beatitudes. Remember those incredible Beatitudes, the teachings of Jesus. John gets his own handwritten, personalized Beatitude, blessed. Blessed are those who do not fall away because of me. Blessed is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. Happy are those who have no doubts in me. That's what it said in my Good News Bible growing up. Happy are those who have no doubts in who I am. Blessed are you, John, in your suffering and in your hardship. Blessed are you, John, when you face death for my name's sake. Blessed are you, John, if at this point of difficulty and hardship, you choose to stay the course and trust in who I am. You know, it breaks my heart when people fall away from the faith. When Jesus doesn't live up to their expectations, when our understanding doesn't match our experiences, You know, when the reality of life for Christ doesn't kind of fit with what we were once thought. And we begin to think, maybe I was deceived. Maybe I've been betrayed. And we harden our hearts because the Messiah we wanted doesn't come through when we need him. And all the while, it seems like everybody else is having the best of times. You've been there? I've got a friend who always seemed to Whenever he popped to the toilet, someone would get healed. Whenever he was away on holiday, people got saved. You begin to think Jesus was working everywhere, but apart from in his life. Be rooted in the word. In good times, be rooted in the word. In hard times, be rooted in the word. Refresh yourself daily. Remind yourself daily, which is why we gather to sing and to pray and to look at the Bible. We remind ourselves daily, what is the Messiah like? Who is he? And what does he do? Don't let your circumstances define your understanding. Let the Bible tell you what Jesus is like, what he's done what he's done for you in his life, death, and resurrection, what he's doing for you now as he intercedes for you at the side of the Father, what he says is true, that he's with us always until the end of the age. Don't doubt. Stay the course. Blessed, blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus. Blessed is the one who doesn't stumble on account of him. The Bible will tell you he's an incredible Messiah, but make sure you're reading your Bible. Make sure you're rooted in scripture. When the day of hardship comes, don't let your circumstances define your understanding. Root yourself in the word. Let's pray.
So Jesus, we say that you are the way, the truth and the life. Again, those aren't words made up by a songwriter, but those are the words that you spoke of yourself. Lord, we want to be so well-versed with an understanding of who you are. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, the great gift to us who wants to explain all things and remind us of who you are. And so, Holy Spirit, we say, come. Come again today and fill us afresh. Remind us of Christ. Remind us of what an incredible Messiah he is. Remind us of the truth of the gospel. And Lord, we think about the circumstances of our lives and how often they are the thing that blind us to the truth of who you are. And we say, help us, God, when hardship comes, to trust you, to stay faithful to you. We thank you for your help. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a brand new episode there right now.